Hello, this is John Huary, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. For this episode, I met with Artie Kasakian, elected city clerk of Glendale, California, who's been getting out the vote in Glendale for over 14 years. Artie and I met at Urartu Cafe, a cultural and social hub for Glendale's Armenian community, where we discussed his efforts to increase local civic engagement and the fascinating insights he's picked up along the way. Do you find that here in Glendale you have these sort of uh, informal community centers where uh, culturally or otherwise they become a, a hub for the community? They de there definitely are. You know, this particular stretch just up the street, there used to be this coffee shop which became this unofficial congregation center for chess enthusiasts. <laughs> and you had chess players from all the way on West LA, you know, coming over to play these chess games against other chess grandmasters. You know, for Armenians, chess has always been a popular game. Armenia has won like three World Chess Olympiads. Right. Um, for a nation of its size, it is the New York Yankees of chess, um, <laughs> or the Boston Red Sox. Okay. You know, um, and it it has uh, and it was this great place for congregation and people come from all over until other folks started complaining and then the city got involved and they decided to build an official chess park with built-in chess tables off the grid um, on Brand Boulevard in this little stretch between the parking lot and the main street and all of a sudden and they banned the other folks from hanging wow. out there and all of a sudden that chess movement died out. Oh wow. Um, so sometimes government can be too helpful. If, <laughs> if helpful is yeah. the phrase you want to look for. I think <laughs> interventionist or disruptive is right. also another way of looking at it. You so know, by the way, um, I don't know if you'll be mentioning the day we're recording this, but today is a very special day because it's uh, Prohibition Repeal Day. It is. We're, we're sitting here today on December 10th, 2018, uh, and talking about Prohibition Repeal Day. Now, uh, you're drinking tea right now. Is that tea just tea? It is. Or it is just tea. No, no, uh, not hotty toddy. <laughs> not or not no, no whiskey in it yet. Maybe later tonight. With but it's, you know, one of the few days uh, of the year, you know, when we recognize that government tried to do something. They banned alcohol. Right. And then they, you know, said, hey, there was a constitutional amendment banning alcohol, unless, by the way, you needed it for medicinal purposes. <coughs> you know, so. It, it sounds very familiar on a, a recent uh, other legal, uh, legalized here in California and some other states of cannabis, the idea that so many people, when we legalized medical marijuana, as we called it back uh, a couple years ago, uh, a lot of people found injuries that could only be treated by cannabis. And it was the same with alcohol. You know, there's, there was a great book called Last Call, which kind of described that, that you only could produce and consume alcohol for religious purposes. <laughs> right. You could produce your own up to a certain amount, right. right? All very, you know, all these parallels that, you know, if we don't learn our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Well, in fact, it's interesting. We're sitting here in Glendale in L.A. County. L.A. County used to be one of the number one wine-producing counties in the nation uh, back in the early days before Prohibition. And, and the last remaining winery that still comes from that era is the uh, is the San Antonio, San Antonio winery. Yeah. The reason they were able to be uh, sort of persevere through persi uh, per through Prohibition is they provide all the sacramental wine. Apple order. Right. So they if were the able to... The Pope says it's okay, okay. then yeah. drink up. Exactly. Yeah, there was a, I think it was a great time for conversions, too, <laughs> At that time, a lot of people, you know, switching to Judaism or Catholicism <laughs> to have the Menachewitz or, or to have the sacramental wine. But yeah, you know, government, you know, seems to get involved in the strangest places in our lives. Now, obviously, I'm a person that does believe government can do well and good. I'm a person who tends to vote Democrat and leans to the left um, of most issues. Um, but, you know, it's okay to sometimes admit that you're wrong. 
and that's that's a huge part of working with other people, right, and building community. I wanted to, to start a conversation here uh, more formally in this amazing setting here as we drink tea and have some snacks, uh, talking about the idea of government in the context of civic literacy. Uh, civic literacy is the idea that uh, people need to be aware of how cities and communities and society works in order to be a part of them, contribute to them, and help everybody be in a better place. And tell us your description, though, of the civic and social landscape here in Glendale. You've been elected uh, almost 15 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost 15 years. Uh, the first openly elected city clerk for the city, the youngest elected official uh, mm -hmm. ever elected in Glendale. You've been in it the thick of it for years. It's a full-time gig, right? It You're full-time uh, as, as an elected official here in the city. What is the civic landscape here? I think, you know, Glendale represents um, a trend that's prevalent um, across many cities, uh, whether it's in Los Angeles County, Southern California, or the state as a whole. Um, it was a region that was rooted in one type of economy and then saw that um, economy transform and with it all the other transformations that come in terms of the demographics, the type of people and their socioeconomic levels, their uh, levels of education. Um, most recently as we see Glendale becoming a more um, vibrant suburb of um, more um, pricier parts of Los Angeles. We're seeing a lot of younger professionals with young families relocating here because of the public schools. Um, people who are moving here from the west side because they're realizing they can buy an afford a relatively affordable home um, uh, for a lot more, uh, for a lot less. Uh, their dollar goes a longer way. Um, and most importantly, I think what has happened in Glendale in the last, let's say, 100 years or, or 50 years, rather, is this amazing um, ethnic uh, diversification. This was always uh, perceived as a very, um, for lack of a better description, white Anglo town. Um, you know, many people were proud of that. There were advertisements in magazines dating back to the 40s and uh, 30s advertising Glendale as a place with neighborhoods with, where only white families of Western European heritage um, were living um, as a selling point to people, you know? And, it's one of the reasons why Pasadena, our neighboring city, had such a vibrant African-American community because for many years, Glendale had these sunset laws where after sunset, if you were found in the city, um, you were either you know questioned uh, and put in jail overnight or taken across the bridge to Pasadena. Wow. Um, and is this a history that many people know? It sounds like... You know, a if you've lived in Glendale for a while, you are made aware of it um, in one way or another. I remember growing up as a young kid and seeing skinheads in Glendale in the 80s, all the way up until the 80s. The Nazi party of the United States had its headquarters here. Wow. So there was there was this kind of um, checkered past, but I think it's you know something you need to be aware of if you want to move forward, if you want to combat the intolerance and hate. And I think this particular stretch of um, Artsakh Avenue that we're um, sitting at today represents the diversity that you have today. You know, we recently had a um, Mexican festival, a, a Hispanic uh, Latino festival, Dia de los Muertos, mm -hmm. Day of the Dead, which has become very popular. Very much so. And, and no small part to, I guess, Disney yeah. pumping money into the Coco fil yes, feature exactly. film. Uh, the Academy Award winning feature film. But you know, we had this uh, Latino festival on the street named after a region in Armenia um, that has a Korean barbecue restaurant, <laughs> popular one, run by Koreans, and a Brazilian uh, chacuceria run by Brazilians. Um, you know, in in Glendale of all places, where else could this happen? Right. Um, so I think that this street just represents such um, uh, much of the change that has happened in in this area. 
And so <clears throat> when you, uh, I want to come back to this festival in a minute, but uh, you're in a city of about, like I said, 200,000 yeah. people. Your job is to increase the civic literacy. I just gave you, a, yeah. if you didn't know, I'm adding it to your job description, to make sure that people aren't just out there voting, but that people are engaged in their community Absolutely. and building a stronger community. This is the work you've done for decades. I feel, I right. feel, I'll tell you, the city clerk is a conduit between the public and the people that they elect to run the city when they're too busy living their lives, right? We can't all be engaged all the time, so part of our responsibility is to vote to elect those people who will do the job for us when we're busy living our lives. Um, but another part of it is to understand how government works. I think, you know, when you talk about civic literacy, um, which I think, you know, now is seeing resurgence since the last presidential election, but prior to that was kind of, you know, thrown by the wayside. Um, there was a lot of cynicism. I think there's probably cynicism today, but there's that willingness to, to face that cynicism and com combat it. Um, but people have to understand how government works, why it sometimes doesn't work, because inefficiencies are sometimes designed into our political system, dating all the way back to our forefathers um, or founders. Um, and lastly, how to make government work the way we want it to when we're dissatisfied, when we're not happy with the way things are. Um, and we don't see a lot of that. I think a lot of times, especially now, people assume that once they go to the polls, once they cast that ballot, their job is done. And that's really not the case. Um, you have to be vigilant, um, you have to be aware, and you have to be practical as well. How do you, how do you keep, you know, you, you mentioned diversity. The demographics here are diverse. You have people from all over the world living in this city and in adjacent cities. But if your job is for this city, how do you engage that 200,000? How do you appeal to and keep engaged this group of people? Well, I think people need to feel a sense of ownership over government, which is very rare nowadays. People, you know, will make comments like, oh, I pay your salary, or, you know, um, our, you know you, you, my taxes pay for this or that. But, you know, there's somewhat of a disconnect between, you know, how the sausage is really made. <laughs> okay, so, you, so someone takes money from you, through, from your paycheck, or you pay taxes or fees, and where does it go? It certainly doesn't get, you know, some people may think it gets flushed down a black hole, but it, it really doesn't, you know. It's it's understanding that. It's as important as understanding your own finances and having that uh, civic uh, literacy to understand, you know, how things get done. You know, uh, you can't just take for granted that you're, you go home, your light switch turns on the light, the water faucet uh, comes on with hot and cold water. How we do that, one of the ways we did it, I'll tell you, is, um, just to take the role of the city clerk, which is right. to raise awareness about elections. You know, for years we'd been having this challenge of engaging the Latino community in voting. And, you know, they did, the city did the traditional things that cities do. At their city events, um, having a voting booth, right. um, or not a voting booth, but a voter <laughs> registration booth, you know, um, having tables that passed out information. But we weren't really, even the Cesar Chavez event that the city sponsors every year, was this kind of milk toast, boring, not really vibrant event. And um, during the a couple of election cycles ago, we had a young man um, named Victor. I won't give his last name, but anyone can go online and probably find out. Um, I just haven't asked him if it's okay to tell <laughs> this story. But I think well, it, you know, it's, it's, no, it's, it's well known, I think. So this kid decided to run for, I call him a kid, gentleman, young gentleman, decided to run for college board. Um, and you know, in order to be on the ballot, you have to collect signatures on your nomination papers and submit them. Normally, when a person and do you run that? As yeah, we run that process. Okay. We verify the signatures, make sure that everyone who signed your petition is a registered voter in Glendale and lives in Glendale. And so, um, you know, he comes in with his papers, submits them to us, 
and as we're going through the verification process, now I have to say that normally there's about a 30% rejection rate even on the good papers, right? People who submit these papers and we throw out about a third of them because the signature doesn't match, because the person said they were registered to vote but they're not. And this kid had only a 10% rejection rate and all of the names on the sheet were you know, Hispanic Latino surnames. And so, you know, I'm looking at this marveling, you know, here we are as a city trying to do outreach to Latinos and struggling to find out where do we, which supermarket do we go and pass out flyers at? Where do we go? Um, and here's this individual who, um, he qualified for the ballot, by the way, and all of the sheets were like these clusters of apartments and, and houses and neighborhoods and streets where he knew who the Latino voters were. So after the election, he unfortunately was unsuccessful, and I'm sure he'll run again sometime in the future, maybe one day here or elsewhere. Um, I called him up. I said, look, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. You obviously know how to do outreach. So while we get together, you tell me who we need to um, talk to to do better outreach to the Latino community. Um, and we got together and we started talking about, this was right around the tr time that the, uh, our current president had just gone elected and there was a lot of anxiety particularly about around immigrants and the spanish-speaking community here right. in los angeles and we said well you know we want to make this community feel comfortable and empowered what can we do as a city to make them feel empowered and and we thought about you know doing some sort of community town hall town square um, plaza where you know it wasn't just about politics that we had some culture some music some food but then interspersed in that some civic education have the departments come out with their spanish-speaking staff or volunteers and explain to our latino community that the city is here to work for them keep in mind a lot of folks who come to the united states are fleeing oppressive regimes so it's really hard for them to have faith in government the same goes for armenians and other people from the near east or middle east or former soviet union you know the government was not your friend so we wanted to change that narrative and you know, we decided that we were gonna do uh, something targeting families and kids, Dia de los Muertos. Now, initially we wanted to do voter education, but we thought it would be off-putting if people from the city were going around asking people if they were registered to vote or if they were citizens. Right. <laughs> so we quickly pulled back, right? Yeah. So that was an idea that was born, and then we decided, okay, let's transform this into something a little bit more friendly. Let's give them ownership over this, and then maybe we'll do this further down the line once people are more comfortable And this with is about this. two years ago. Right? This is two years ago. Okay. And so we did this. It was, we had a group, great volunteers. We had someone from the library, Guillermo, um, Jenny, who works at CSUN Library, Omar, who um, does consulting and does fantastic graphic design. We had this core group of Latino volunteers, um, all of whom live in the city, work in the city. And, you know, my, the vision we had is rather than the city coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do, now we're harvesting volunteers, we brought the volunteers together, gave them a safe um, space in which to have a, a free dialogue about what they wanted to do. And I told them, I go, look, my job, my only job is going to be to run blocking for you, nice. you know, within City Hall. If you find that there's red tape, you just come to us and we'll figure out a way around it. Um, this is what we're going to have so as a budget and do the event. So you found a group of people, invited a group together to say, we don't know if you're going to have the answer or not, but I want to hear what you have to say, and you wanted to empower them to be the leader in this issue. And not have a fear of failure. You know, gotcha. a lot of times I think government is feeling the stress of, we're going to do something and it's going to suck or it's going to be terrible, we're going to fail, and then we're never going to do it again. You know, we were just experimenting. It was about creating a sandbox for this group of community activists to do an event the way they wanted to do it. And sure enough, that first time we did that event, we didn't know if we were gonna have like 50 
people show up or 100 people show up, but we had like almost 400 people show up the day the Dodgers were playing in the World Series on one of the coldest days on a day when we were hoping to do the event outside, but we ended up moving it indoors to the library. And, you know, we had skull painting and storytelling, and we had, you know, I had this one Armenian mom come up and say, you know, I really didn't know what this holiday was about. It's obviously a day of, uh, it's All Saints Day. It's right. the day of honoring those who have passed. And so she said, you know, and, and you do this altar and you offer food, the favorite foods. Yeah. yeah, an ofrenda, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even I learned, by the way, a lot about the community, even though uh, my uh, wife, my spouse is uh, Hispanic. And so, you know, we had this event and this Armenian mom came up to me with her daughter and she goes, you know, I really wasn't excited about my daughter coming here because, you know, I, we don't necessarily believe in this in our culture. But, you know, her father passed away recently. And when we sit down to dinner, she still puts out a dinner plate for him. And this event just really, this celebration really resonates with me now. And I'm going to come back next oh, year. Amazing. Right? And if we could, and I told the volunteers and they all agreed, you know, the group, we were like, if we can replicate that story a thousand times in Glendale, where Armenians are roughly 40% of the population and Latinos are around 14 to 17% of the population, how much better of a community would we be as a whole if we, you know, didn't think of that as, oh, that's a Latino event, or right. that's an Armenian event, or that's a, you know, whatever, the July 4th, like that we're all part of this together. So this year, we decided to expand and do it on this avenue, on Artsakh Avenue. And we had over a thousand people wow. attend. So uh, let me stop you there. How did you get the word to these people? Because you clearly are not just targeting the Latino community. It's, it's everybody in the community is invited. What's the message and who's delivering that message? I think it's a number of things. I think the individuals involved all have their own networks, right? Uh -huh. We all have our own networks. And how big is the planning committee now? I think, that, well, there's well close to a dozen individuals okay. involved. We brought in a couple of departments. We had to bring in our parks department. We brought in the library arts and culture. Mm -hmm. they, they were part of it from the very, very beginning. But, you know, as we needed to, next year we'll probably have a little bit more um, security because, you know, with a thousand people, yeah, yeah. you want to ensure safety yeah. of, of the participants. Um, we are probably going to bring in our economic development team because they have contacts with businesses that could be sponsors that we, we don't. Um, but despite that, you know, the group did fantastic on its own. They have their own network. The city used all of the tools available to it, whether it was council meetings or the public um, television station that we have that we advertise on, the website. You know, we just, and, and by the way, we did it on a shoestring budget. I think this year's budget was something like $10,000. When you, when you do the per head count right. of what we spent and, and the goodwill um, that we spread through it, you know, there was a, a story that was told to me by one of our volunteers, Omar. He said, you know, he was cleaning up afterwards and this older gentleman came up to, came up to him and wanted to, one of the, the wooden painted skulls and he mm -hmm. wanted to take it. It was like a little decoration, um, probably worth, you know, a couple of bucks, you know, nothing that we were going to save. He said, sure, you can have it. He goes, by the way, why do you want it? He says, you know, I've lived in Glendale my whole life and this was the first time there was like a Latino event that I really, that made me feel like this was my home and I want a little memento of that oh to take home with me. Listen to those examples that you're, I mean, it must be so inspiring to your team and for you to say, we're not just sort of making everybody feel good, like, hey, let's get together and have fun, but actually moving people. The two stories you just gave me were actually like people being moved to emotional state that gets them ownership, as you mentioned earlier. They feel like it's their community. It's part that they're a part of. That's a, that's and, a and I think that we had a lot of people who came that day who've now signed up and want to be a part of it next year. I know I've spoken to a few people. The question moving forward is going to be how to maintain the authenticity of this event without it becoming bureaucratic. Right. You know, and that is a challenge because government does have a role to play, but when it's 
the top down or it's the pinnacle and it's the one telling you what to do, it can be somewhat disruptive and, and cause challenges. Because you know, we, do, we don't have that entrepreneurial um, spirit yet in across all levels of government. It's still fairly rigid. And that's a good thing sometimes. You don't want government to change week to week. You don't want to come and pay your water bill in one place one day and then come back the next month and find out it's changed. You know, you want that, you, you. Yeah, you want that consistency. But you also you know, have to strike a balance between remembering who you're here to serve and that's what this event was about. It's about you know working with folks who are the community. And so is this the second or third year you've done it? This is the second year. This is the so second year. Will be a third. And as you as you're planning for the third year, have your goals changed? I mean, you started with voter engagement, mm -hmm. and that probably maybe still a component of it. But has the goal of the event changed? You think? Is it Absolutely. So what does it, it come from? And what what made that transition happen? You think? I think it's the first time we did it, seeing who who first of all came, um, who the who we thought would be the target audience and who ended up being the target audience. First of all, we were hoping you know, for uh, an event that would really draw the Latino community and we saw that the, even though the attendees are mostly Latino, it's still you have a lot of other cultures coming in as well, just out of curiosity right. because it's a safe space to you know, enjoy and celebrate something. Um, you know, with music and food, you know, we had more music and food this year because, you know, what brings out people better than that? You know, right. if we told music them, food. If, we, if we told them we were doing a Dia de los Muertos events and, and we just had lectures, you know, no one was <laughs> going to show up. We found, you know, we, we brought in a couple of very well-known popular, we tried to attract um, a children's singer, um, mm -hmm. the equivalent of Rafi, oh, uh, the baby Rafi, beluga, yeah. but for yeah. the <laughs> Spanish-speaking community. <laughs> and, you know, um, you know that, that, just getting that name out there brought out a lot of families. Um, so really targeting, it sounds like targeting families, making it something that appeals to a family regardless of background. And the bonus is, and we're doing some education both on the cultural uh, identity of, of this one sector of the community, but also the, ed the education of the city and the community itself. Like we are a community. And I th yeah, and it's absolutely, I think also one, the, the layer on top of what you just said is, um, is also feeding the curiosity of people. Um, you know, nurturing them and, because people I think have natural curiosities and, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who have lived in Glendale their whole lives and have never had Zonku chicken before, right? Or have never eaten at Rafi's place. I just saw your eyebrows go up like, what? Uh, but that's, yeah, exactly, right? You know, and, but it's not just the Armenian foods, right? It's also like people who've never stepped foot into a Korean grocery store right. or into a Middle Eastern uh, bodega. And I'm like, how could you not be curious about it? Right. You know, it, this is your community. You know, I, I, I'm a person who naturally has curiosity about other cultures, and that's why I feel blessed to live in L.A. County, because right. we have everything here at our fingertips. We absolutely do, and I think part of the opportunity here is that people on their feet or in a plaza like this that we've been sitting at, you know, there is the ability for you to walk across the street and poke your head in and see something else. But unfortunately, we have spent decades in Southern California in our cars, driving to our destination, getting out, going to our destination, getting back in our car, going home, going to work, and not taking the time to walk, bike, experience a community mm -hmm. or a city outside of the protection, in quotes, protection of our vehicle. And I think that that's starting to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that in 10 years when we start asking people, have you tried Zanku chicken? Or they'll have the opportunity to be able to experience those things they're curious about because they know that they exist because they're not so married to the single driver car that gets them from A to B and nowhere else. And I think that's, that's part of the shift of culture and dynamics that we're seeing in Southern California car, car culture uh, that is shifting. And, I think and, and, and this, by the way, Avenue, is a, yeah. this street is a perfect example because yeah. where you see chairs and benches and right. umbrellas right now, 
um, it used to just be a thoroughfare, and people would zip through it. No one would even take a moment yeah, to stop. Yeah, there's barricades, so you can, you, can, you can go basically uh, a quarter of a block and then turn one way or another on a driveway, then there's a, most of the block is blocked off. This was an initiative by the mayor, Zara Sinanian. I can't recall if he was mayor then or just on council, but, you know, to, sit, to make this into a paseo, to close it off, you know, it, and nothing had really worked. This stretch of Maryland was kind of always perceived as snake-bitten, and I think it's, you know, you can either try and try and change it to be what you think it should be or let it be what it is and let it grow naturally and, and let it be organic which is by the way the approach we took with the Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> I was just going to say it sounds like a lot of the approach that you've taken here on these items has been that organic approach you bring the right people you put the pieces in place and let them you plant the seeds and let yeah. them grow. I want to talk about the diversity of this city but I also want to talk about cities in general you know you've been a, a student of history both academic like that as your as your major but also just in the work that you've done and cities, you know, have, have, have evolved a lot and they will continue to evolve, but, but our systems, I think people forget. People see where we are today and they don't think about the past and how it influences where we are. So tell me a little bit about sort of voting and the, under, the understanding you have about voting in local elections and, and national elections and how that plays out to where we are today. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of attention being um, placed on elections nowadays because of what transpired in the last presidential election, this concern for intervention. I don't like to label intervention by its source because even though it's very popular nowadays to link it to one country or entity, intervention in elections and undermining of it can come from anywhere including foreign sources and even domestic sources depending on what the motivation is. Um, you know there was a recent story in North Carolina about an individual who committed um, elections fraud by uh, tampering with people's ballots. Um, the fact of the matter is it's it's not a it's not a perfect process, but you know the idea that there are these massive efforts to sway elections one way or another, I think, are blowing things really out of proportion. First of all, in Glendale and in California and other parts of the country, we have on average about 30 to 40 percent voter participation rate, and if that's the rate, even with elections fraud, then it's paltry at best, right? The question we really should be asking is, why aren't the other 60 percent of people not voting? Um, rather than trying to nitpick with the people who are. And it's eligible voters, not just anybody. Yeah, and that's yeah. eligible voters. Yeah. That's not even, uh, uh, the people who are, well, the people who are registered to vote, who are eligible to vote, uh, but there are a lot more who are eligible who are not even registered. Right. So there's this question about how to make the process simpler, easier. I think in uh, LA County, there have been great steps made towards that. There's this uh, revamping of the voting right. system. Um, which I'm very excited about. Are but you still serving on the outreach committee? For I am. Yeah, so what is that committee that you're on? So it's the VSAP. Um, it's a, a voting systems assessment project. It uh, was uh, done in collaboration with Caltech, um, spearheaded by Dean Logan, the county clerk uh, and registrar. And it was basically looking at the voting systems that had been used up until now, which we call in the in, in the biz, we called Inca vote, right? This little kind of Scantron type, you slip in this card and you start marking things. Um, and uh, it gets counted um, through a Scantron type system, reader. Uh, but it's not the most efficient way. It certainly leaves certain gaps with um, the disabled community and others. Um, but you know, the 2020 election will be the first time we'll be widely using it, also along with vote centers, which is gonna be very exciting. I, I believe in vote centers. I believe that we need to make voting uh, a week-long process and allow people the convenience to vote the way they did. Now, I'd heard 
I don't know this 100%, but apparently Tuesday was voting day because Wednesday was the day when people would sell their wares at market. So right. when we were a more rural right. community um, across the country, people would go in and vote on Tuesday and take their goods to market the following day. Um, and perhaps that, that was the reason why. Well, you know, if there's no real rhyme or reason to it, we can, we can shift our election days. Let me ask you, though, uh, that's a great point. The idea that you have a week now, there's not as much focus on one day. Does that lose some of the energy? Do you think people are not going to be, well, I'll get to it tomorrow, I have to tomorrow, or tomorrow, and then they forget? I mean, I, I don't know about you. Well, I think part of what's changed the dynamics is the fact that more than half the population now receives their ballots at home, their vote-by-mail voters. Okay. And even though um, you know statistics show that a lot of people will still hang on to their ballot up until the last minute to make their decision, a good number of people are voting early. And if you're a person who's able to splice and dice the numbers, you can kind of make these, um, I think, unwarranted or early predictions, which don't always uh, come out to be what they are. I mean, presidential election, uh, the last one being one of them. Um, yeah, voting certainly has changed. The way people want to vote, the way people do vote, um, is impacting how governments, how electeds um, uh, react to the electorate, um, to the voters. And I think we're still in this kind of um, let's wait and see how things shake out. And, and, and who should, you know, there's, I've heard in the last year, two years, a lot of conversations about, you know, 16-year-olds should be able to vote. You know, we saw Florida pass and legalize, uh, uh, pass incarcerated individuals could vote, uh, restoring their right to vote. What about expanding voters' rights? I mean, well, I mean, you know, and there's one thing that you um, hadn't mentioned, and maybe some of your uh, listeners would be surprised that there was actually some communities back east um, and elsewhere that have allowed non-citizens to vote in certain elections. You know, um, school board elections, um, local uh, council elections. Modern, modern times. Yeah, modern. I mean, we're talking about like you know, last six months, last wow. twelve months. Um, it has been a serious issue. And here's the irony of it all. There's um, a book, um, I want to say the author is Alex Kesar. He's a professor at Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and he wrote a book called The Right to Vote. And in it, he outlines the whole history of how voting has changed. Um, the first election where only U.S. citizens were allowed to vote was 1926. I think Arkansas or Alabama was the last... Less than 100 years ago. Yeah, less than 100 years ago. And, you know, prior to that, states like Montana and some of the, the sparser populated states, you know, even before um, the allowing uh, women or giving uh, returning to women the right to vote, you know, there were states that were allowing women the right to vote because they just needed every single able-bodied person in that state to vote. Um, and and we don't know enough about our history to make these uh, to have these understandings about you know well what is a citizen I mean is a person who for instance has a green card but has served in the U.S. military right a privilege that is only taken up by less than two percent of the population of the United States in our active military we're a nation of 326 million people and only our military is only 1.2 million strong. Um, you know as a person with a green card who served in the Marines has served overseas. Uh, less eligible to vote than myself, who was born in Boston, Massachusetts, raised in this country, but has not served right. in the military. So, what is citizenship? You know, this discussion. What What does citizenship afford us? You know, who Who has those rights? Who doesn't have those rights? Who's having those conversations? So, at a, a level, a, a level that lets us actually do something about it. You know, we talked. We started the conversation here talking about civic literacy, and that's a conversation that's happening at university campuses, in city halls, in community groups, trying to build community connections. We know that when we talk about citizenship, you know, we all it take. You're born here, you're a citizen. All of a sudden, right? But is that all we can expect? That if you're born here, you're a citizen? Is there more to it? And how do we how do we have those 
frank conversations. I think it's, I think it's difficult to have them right now, John, given what's going on in the country. You know, when you're talking about you know border walls and you know um, stigmatizing immigrants um, and using terms like illegal, it's it's very very difficult to have them. You know, I am the son of immigrants who came here under different circumstances. My father was admitted to Harvard University. You know, he came here to pursue his graduate degree and um, set down roots and. You know, it's it's very hard for individuals, even people from the immigrant um, background, to look at things nowadays. Even here in, in a place like here in Glendale, where more, more than sixty percent of our population is foreign-born, and to have a frank discussion about how to treat people who have come to this country as a choice. So, how do you how do you how do you understand a diverse place like this? You, you talk about the foreign-born and and the great diversity in Glendale. How do you start the process of understanding that? If you're moving to this community and you want to get to know Glendale, what's what's the first three steps in understanding the diversity in community here? So I think whether it's Glendale or any other place, the, the way to understand the diversity is to look at some of um, the civic organizations, groups, watch the council meeting, see who is pulling the levers of, of are you, are you biased because you help run the council meetings? <laughs> I mean, you watch the council We want higher ratings, yeah, higher ratings and better <laughs> audiences. No, you know, I, I'm, I'm always surprised at how little people know about how their local government works. You know, when I talk to friends, I get asked questions a lot. You know, hey, let me ask you something. You know, well, a doctor at a party maybe asked to tell me what this looks like to you. <laughs> and as they show them a skin rash, I get asked questions about, you know, hey, there's this issue I have with the parking meters uh, on this block. Or, you know, this thing happened to me in front of my kid's school. And to get folks to really understand um, the process has been a privilege. But I tell folks, like, go to a meeting. You know, talk to a council member. Don't, make, don't put these people up on a pedestal. Like, they're inaccessible. You know, have a conversation with them. Very few people are willing to do that. The only people I think who are uh, are individuals who themselves have political ambitions. Maybe some of your audience listening to this podcast does as well. But I think it's important for us as a society uh, to move forward to understand that we all have to wear that hat sometimes. We have to... All, you know, Pericles, the Greek statesman, has this great quote that I always use when I'm talking to younger audiences at colleges and high schools. And he says, just because you're not interested in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you. And that's absolutely, absolutely true. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, go out of your comfort zone. Go to different places of worship and get to know the people there. You know, just have this general curiosity. You have one life to live. Why would you not want to know what drives your fellow human beings, and especially those who are your neighbors. And you may not need them for an issue today, but you'll probably need them for an issue tomorrow. And, you know, that's what community is about, not to silo yourself and only tweet out sarcastic comments and <laughs> expect, you know, likes and dislikes. So let me ask you, let's talk about Glendale. What's the secret? What's the secret sauce in Glendale? How do we... How do, <laughs> the Zonku chicken yeah, garlic yeah, sauce. The garlic sauce. The garlic sauce. No. <laughs> no, like, how, in this community, if you said, okay, you want to get to know Glendale, talk to X person, talk to, go to this event, what is it here? There isn't one thing. Okay. There isn't one thing. I think that everyone has, you know, at different moments people are uh, driven by different interests. It could be a cultural interest, it could be uh, an issue uh, based on their gender, uh, sexual orientation, uh, place of origin, or just the fact that, you know, um, economics. I think economics overall does um, cross all those diverse boundaries because you know, it touches upon everything, um, whether it's, you know, the equal pay for uh, women for the same work or um, we're talking about businesses run by minorities who are looking to get a fair shake. Um, 
economic, at the end of the day, it's being able to put food on your table and provide for yourself and your loved ones and have a modicum of dignity and, and quality of life. Um, I love talking to small business owners like the owner of this coffee shop because you know there was a time when the economy was struggling and the owner of this shop had to run a second business. He was running, he was working as a security guard at night, coming in here, opening up the shop and running the coffee shop in the morning um, and you know to help put his kids through school. Um, that gave me a better understanding as to what are the challenges he faced. And when this street was, by the way, going to be proposed to be renamed Artsakh, there was major pushback from the local businesses here who felt that it put an unnecessary economic burden on them to have to change their addresses with all their ancillary business partners and people that they do business with. Um, and even some of the Armenian owners of businesses were hesitant to support it because, again, it came down to economics. So I think talking to folks, whether it's businesses, houses of worship, um, you know, neighbors, um, people who work with government, nonprofits. Find your circle, find your own kitchen cabinet of folks, and then don't be so um, reticent or rigid that you don't expand it or change it at different times. Well, this has been great, and I think I could talk to you for another two hours at least, but I want to go into our lightning round where we set a timer for 60 seconds and we, we ask you a series of questions with short answers, uh, just as fast and as many as we uh, can get going together. And uh, there's no wrong answer here, so we can uh, make it work. So are you ready, Artie? Okay. One word answer, one short phrase answer. Here we go. Who is a leader that has influenced you in your work? Uh, Mahatma Gandhi and local former council member, current treasurer, Rafi Manukian. Okay. What book has changed the way you think about your work in a city or community? Um, two books, How We Decide and The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. The first one is not by Malcolm right, Gladwell. Right. Uh, what's the best quality in a partner to achieve good collaboration? Trust. Uh, what can citizens do to help local governments be more effective? Be engaged um, and voice their opinions, even if they feel they're in the minority. Uh, what advice do you have for someone trying to work with government? Uh, don't back down. Nice. What's the biggest barrier to getting out the vote? Getting out the vote. Understanding why people don't vote. What's your method to learn about a community or an issue? I think you went into that. Talk, talking to folks. Yeah, talking to folks. Uh, what's the best part of living in Glendale? Oh man, the food. Yeah, absolutely. What advi what advice would you give your? Oh, we're out of time. Ah. Well, you know, I want to thank you. I thought that was an yeah. excellent lightning round. I thank probably you. went off on the answers uh, a little bit more than probably your other guests. But you got you got through eight of them here. That's pretty good. You know, I, I, I want to close things out. Maybe the last thing I'll tell you is this story about negotiations and in communications and what the value of asking questions and sometimes the right question is. You know, there was someone who was teaching negotiations and gave the story of two people who were in a grocery store and they both want to buy the last orange. Okay. So... The, and neither of them would give up an inch. They both wanted the orange. So what's the natural way to appease them? What would you say, John? You cut the orange in half. You cut the orange in half, exactly. So they take the orange, right? And let's say this, this two, these two individuals are you and I. So you take the rind of the orange, you throw it away, and you juice the pulp to make juice. I take the meat of the orange, and I throw it away, and I take the rind, and I make marmalade. Right? right? Now, how could we both have benefited right. from this? Right. What would have been the easiest thing to do before any of us had any of the arguments or the fights over the orange was to ask a simple question. What do you want to do with the orange, right? right? And then we both would have ended up with double the resources that we ended up with um, had we uh, you know, just had a discussion and, and not argued. So I think that's the most important thing in any 
scenarios. Ask the people that you're working with or working against, what is it that you really want to achieve? Right. That's a great, great way to approach these kind of works. Thank you, Artie, for joining us. Thank you for introducing me to this awesome coffee shop and giving us some insight into Glendale and into the insights of how to make a city work and work with the city. Thanks so much, Artie. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.